Thank you those in the back who are making this thing happen electronically. Appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you for all of you for joining us this morning as we look to God's word. So in the Star Wars universe, <laughs> there's this area called the Outer Rim. And it's a place far out there in the galaxy. It's, it's on the peripheral, and it's a place where the population is sparse. The planets, they're, they're wild, and they're untamed, and they're rugged, and life is primitive there, and order is minimal, and lawlessness prevails. Now, I, I know this. Not because I'm a fanboy, but because I've had access to the internet this week and explored a website known as Wikipedia. <laughs> the Outer Rim. The last few centuries, the Outer Rim places of our world, they have become few and farther between. Where is that unexplored territory? Where is the place where you can go and you feel like you've reached the edge of civilization? Is it out there on the edge of space or is it down in the depths of the sea? We know how dangerous that can be as tragedy struck this past week. Geographically speaking, there's, there's not much left that's hidden, is there? You can open up your smartphone, you can look at that app and you can zoom in to just about any place on the globe and get a satellite view of what is there. Is there a spot that's left that is not unexposed? And yet when it comes to, to our personal lives, and for those of us who, who profess Christ as Lord, the frontier territories happen to be right outside our front door, don't they? They're right out there. Step out onto the curb. And you're now in a place where God is not acknowledged, at least not as the way you acknowledge him. And the environment, it, it, if not hostile, at least it is indifferent. And, and the wild hearts that are out there chasing after every whim of desire, they, they look a little bit like something out of the Wild West. Take the good news of the gospel of Jesus out there into that environment. Well, there's no telling what you might find, who you're going to encounter, what kind of opposition might be out there. Yes, even danger you might face. And that's the place where it can be very easy to feel isolated and, and alone where showing your true colors or exposing what it is that is going on in your brain or what it is that you believe in your heart, that can be a risky thing. Where you might begin to wonder, what's, what's God going to do? What's he, what's he even able to do out there, at least through me? I, I'm like a, a pilgrim in a foreign land here. This is foreign land. This is, this is like the outer rim. What are the chances of anyone listening to me? What are the chances of anyone actually embracing and, and stepping away from this life of passion-seeking that we're so encouraged to pursue to recognize and bow the knee to a holy God? What are the chances? You know, for Christians living in the first century world, the outer rim, it was consistent of some of those places that were just far away from home, on the, on the other side of the sea, where people had little or no knowledge 
of the God of Israel. And that's where God was leading Paul and his traveling companions. And what we want to do this morning is we want to journey with them out there as they experience what it's like to be exposed and out there in perhaps unfriendly, unfamiliar territory. And we want to ask ourselves, what can God do out here? And how should I be a Christian when I find myself in, in that, that, those places that feel like they're just wild and untamed and even harsh? So let's get into it. You might remember from last week, if you were with us last week, if you weren't, I'll catch you up. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke, the author of the book of Acts, they all, they're all together and they are on the eastern side of the Aegean Sea at a place called Troas. And it is a, it's, it's gorgeous. The water is just incredibly tur- turquoise and transparent. I got to go there someday. They're preparing to respond to the call that God has given Paul through this vision that he's had. And you might remember the vision. It's a man in Macedonia, in that European territory over there, saying, come to us, come and help. And so they're getting ready to respond. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 11. It says this, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and following, then the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. So from Troas, that port town, they sail to this island, which is just a general stopping place. Everyone stops there on their way to the other side. Then they head for Neapolis. Now, they didn't know where they were supposed to go when they got to the other side. They didn't know. They didn't know what they're, supposed to, what they're supposed to do, what the situation is going to be like. And so they land in this port city of Neapolis, and then they travel 10 miles inland to this city known as Philippi. And Luke tells us it's a leading city in Macedonia. So where should we go? What should we do? Uh, well, well, Paul had a vision. Maybe, maybe we should, we know we're supposed to go to Macedonia, so let's go someplace in kind of the epicenter of Macedonia, and then, then who is it we're supposed to look? Well, probably that man that Paul saw in his vision. We're just, we're, Paul's going to recognize him, and then we're going to be good, and we're going to be doing God's work here. And if we don't find that man, well, then let's just run the regular playbook, and that means let's look for the Jewish synagogue in that place, and that's where we'll start. We'll go from there. But when they arrive, there doesn't seem to be any man. Luke doesn't tell us anything about that. Doesn't seem seem to be any man. What's more, it doesn't seem like there's any synagogue. There's not a place of Jewish worship in this town. Now, that doesn't mean that Philippi was some like podunk village where there there just wasn't very many people. On the contrary, this this is a thriving place. This is a large place. This is a place that is bustling. It's highly desirable to live there. Though it was miles away from from Italy, it had been given the status of a Roman colony. And that means that it had all kinds of rights, all kinds of incentives, all tax exemptions. They were there. And so it was very, very appealing to come to this place called Philippi. What's more, it was a wealthy place. Beautiful uh, landscape there, rich soil, great for growing crops. But not only that, there were mines there, gold mines there, 
And that made it a tremendously prosperous place to live. This is Rome away from Rome. <laughs> so why isn't there a synagogue there? What's going on there? Well, most likely it's because the population of Jewish people in that city is next to none. You know, it takes 10 Jewish families to start a synagogue. 10 Jewish men, husbands and or fathers, who would need to be there to get that thing off the ground and running. But they don't even have that. And so for all of its beauty and all of its prosperity, Philippi is a, is a rather dark place. It's a place where there are, there are deities there is worship galore there. All of the Roman deities would have been worshipped there. But it's also a place where followers of the one true God are virtually non-existent. That's what we're led to believe in verse 13 when we discover that the place of worship of the one true God, it's not even in the city. Look at this. It says, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And so for all the gods that were venerated in this city by the Roman citizens, strange, outside, foreign, or obscure deities were prohibited from inside the city walls. No, no, no. We, we got gods. We got all the gods. You, need, you come worship our gods, not any foreign gods. Not welcome here. you got to do that outside the city. And so for the few people that were worshiping this God of Israel, they got to go outside. And I wonder if Paul and Timothy and the rest were going, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Is this place on the outskirts? Well, it certainly wasn't the Wild West. There was order. There was civilization. There's this indelible imprint of Roman rule and the, and the affluence of Roman prosperity as well. But it certainly wasn't home. It didn't even have that, that, that contingent of people that shared common ground with these travelers. So when Paul normally stepped into a town, as we've noted before, there was usually a synagogue. There's a place of Jewish worship. And that meant that there was at least a place where Paul could get his foot in the door and get an opportunity to speak and hopefully share the gospel there. He was, as we've noted before, he was taught by the revered and respected teacher Gamaliel. Everyone knew this guy. This, was, this guy is up here. And so any synagogue would have said, that's on your credential? Okay, yeah, please. It, you know, the, 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 the rabbi would gladly yield the floor and invite Paul to speak. But in Philippi, there's nothing. Well, what, what use are we going to be here, God? And, and someone might ask, well, what about the man in the vision? Where is this guy? Was God leading them astray? Why is he leading them across the sea to meet a man who doesn't seem to be there? Verse 12 says that they stayed many days. I wonder if they were wondering. Many days. Have you ever had to wait? You know, that awkward waiting period. You were told to go somewhere, and, then, and, and now it's, what, what am I doing here? Nothing seems to be happening. I wonder if they felt a bit out of touch. I wonder if they felt like little fish in a big 
see. Do you ever feel like a pilgrim in, in a foreign land? And we live here, right? This is, this, is, this is our home, or this country is our home. And yet, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, it, it feels a little bit less, less like home just about each and every day. Does it feel that way for you? It feels that way for me. And yet, here we are, called by God to do something in this place. We're called to make disciples, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in this place, called to share that good news. And yet that's a name that's becoming less and less and less welcome, well, in, in the workplace and on our school campuses and virtually anywhere in the public square. Is this our home? What would have happened if Paul started proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ in the city of Philippi where foreign gods are not permitted? What would happen if, if you talk about your faith openly in your outer rim territory? Can you expect a God, God to do anything of significance in those places? And what about when there are no people around that you can call friends? Or, or who understand you, can support you, or who share your beliefs. On the Sabbath day, Paul and his team, they make their way outside of the city, and they go to a place by the river where they are led to believe that there was at least some people gathering uh, to pray to their God. And what they found was not the man that Paul saw in his vision. No, not him. But they find a group of women gathering. End of verse 13. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, some people uh, look at Paul and they look at what he has written in his epistles and they say, this guy's a male chauvinist. I, I, I really, this does not fit with our culture. This guy is on the wrong side of history. He just, he just wants to keep women in their place. He hates women. But what happens here gives us evidence to the fact that Paul's regard for women here is actually revolutionary. It is revolutionary for his day. Whereas Jewish rabbis, they were known to say things like this. You know, it's better that the words of the law be just burned than be delivered to a woman. But Paul, on the other hand, he sits right down and he's sharing the good news of Jesus. Does that, does that sound like the actions of someone who just wants to keep women in their place or thinks that he's too good to even speak with them? No, not at all. And just like Jesus, just like so many uh, members of the early Christian community, Paul's a man who loves people that have been made in his, in God's image. He writes in Galatians 3.28, for as many as you were, as, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. He's not saying those don't exist, but he's saying you're all one in Christ Jesus. And not only does Paul's behavior here put his Jewish contemporaries to absolute shame, but it actually puts the, the culture, the Roman culture, and the whole society to shame as well. He is not operating the way people operate. 
But even so, what are the chances of these women actually listening to him? And and what are the chances of of seeds actually being planted and for a church to develop here in Philippi? Someone back then may have thought, well, you've got to have 10 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue. So what good is a a few women coming to believe the, the truth about the gospel? Look at verse 14. It says this, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. For her, for, for the, from, uh, from the city of Thyatira, I think the, we got a typo there, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Okay, so here's a lady from Asia Minor, that's modern day Turkey, who's living there and she's selling purple stuff. Now, don't mistake this for some guy on the street selling knockoff sunglasses. That is not what's going on here. To be a dealer of purple fabric is to deal in something very, very expensive and highly coveted and desired. This is the stuff of royalty. This is the color that you wear if you have got money. We recognize people who have money, right, by, by where they live and the types of cars that they're driving around. We were driving down the 55 the other day, and there was a Lamborghini there that I have never seen before just flying right past us. And you go, that person must be on welfare. <laughs> Not at all, right? right? The things that we, we touch and, and own and experience, they, they say something. This isn't something that you just put on a color palette on your computer screen and then hit print and then it just comes out. You don't get this color. This color is hard to come by. And it's very likely that anyone in a business like this, including this woman, was was very successful and probably had, was experiencing significant financial gain. So here's a woman, a businesswoman, who's very likely doing very well for herself. And she's living in a, in a wonderful place, a beautiful place, where foreign gods, though, they are not received here. She knows how it works. What are the chances of her hearing Paul and actually believing him and embracing this stuff that Paul is peddling? I'm not so sure. And how often do you and I find ourselves in the company of someone who you never would have thought would be receptive to the good news of Jesus. Have you ever felt like you were on the outer rim? That place where your focus, it just needs to be more on survival. I just need to get through this day, through these office hours, and then move on. And then when Sunday comes around, then I can be with the Christian community and say whatever I want there, but not here. This is about survival in this place. Interesting, isn't it? That when Jesus told the parable about these different soils, there was this farmer, and he's spreading out seed, and it's landing on all sorts of different soils. Yes, some fell on the road and just kind of bounced, and, and some fell on the rocky ground and didn't really take root, and yet there was some that found its way to good soil, and it soaks in, and the moisture just infuses into this seed, and it starts to sprout and grow like crazy. Something's happening here. Look at the rest of verse 14. It says this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She was not going to take no for an answer. Luke tells us, you know what? God was doing something here. We know from Romans 3.11, there is, there is none who understands, right? There is none. There is not anyone who seeks after God. Searching for God, that's not something that people do on their own. God has to be at work doing something and, and stirring something and moving and causing something inside of that person to say, I, I need to look. I need to seek because there's something. I, I've got this Lamborghini here, and it is nice, but it's not doing it. Something's missing. I need to be seeking something. And someone might say, you know, well, what does this woman have to be searching for? She seems to have things pretty well figured out. She's living in a beautiful place. She's got uh, probably money, lucrative business, probably like a lot of people who have it together. She probably thinks, I, I've got it pretty well figured out. I wouldn't expect her to be one to listen. Isn't that usually the down and outers, the ones who are looking for some sort of crutch to lean on? Yeah? Maybe. But here's the thing, and this is so important for us to understand and actually believe. Receptivity to the gospel, it's less about where a person is at in life or how likely we think they are to be looking. And it has everything to do with what God is doing in their heart. If he's calling them to himself, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how much or how little they have. They're going to come. Jesus said all that the Father gives me will come. And whoever comes, I will never cast out. Friends, we like to look at how likely things are. <laughs> we're, we're constantly looking for signs uh, that tell us this or they indicate that. Does it look like it's going to rain? Hopefully not again. We've had enough, right? <laughs> is the economy, is it going to be turning around? What are the housing prices going to do? What are the interest rates? Where are they going to go? And what are the, how are the polls shaping up? Whose name is going to be on the ballot? But when it comes to the spreading of the kingdom of God, the game changer is not about how ripe we think the environment might be. It's all about what the king wants to do. You and I might find ourselves in those fringe places, those outer rim places, but perhaps that is the very place where God is going to use our obedience as faithful witnesses of Jesus to spark the light that transforms the entire landscape. Do you get me? God's power knows no bounds. His power knows no bounds. Like Paul would later write to the believers in Ephesus, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Who is it that you are going to encounter that God is already working inside, preparing to listen to the good news that you have 
to offer? Will you be ready to share Jesus with them? Not only does Lydia listen, but she believes. In very, very few words, Paul tells us she listens, apparently she believes, and then she takes the risk of drawing public scrutiny upon herself as she publicly professes her new faith in Jesus Christ by getting baptized here. What's more, she takes her faith and she doesn't just save it for herself. She goes back to her home. It says she spreads it to her entire household. What does that mean? Does that mean children? Is that servants? Is that a husband? It's not specific here. It doesn't tell us. But Luke tells us they're all baptized. And so they all believe as well. And something big is beginning to happen here. And then she insists, doesn't she? She insists that Paul and his companions, they come and they stay at her house, which was actually probably pretty nice. That is evidence that God's Holy Spirit has actually come inside and is already doing a transforming work within her, moving her to show hospitality, to love her, her fellow believers. We talked about that last week, I think. To meet practical needs. This is phenomenal. Who would have thought? It reminds me of what happened to my brother uh, about a week or so ago. He, he planted a church and it's been going for a year or so. And they just recently found themselves in terrible, terrible need. They needed a million dollars. We thought we needed money. <laughs> and so there are some people that have been praying for, for Abel's church. And, uh, and he reached out and uh, a phone call was made. And, and after not much time at all, the guy calls him and says, are you sure a million is all you need? To which I replied, can I get that guy's number? <laughs> it, 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 it's amazing what God does inside of us as, as faith takes root and the spirit starts transforming and he loosens our grip on things that we hold precious, including financial security. And he moves people to give generously you know, we try to be very careful with money, and I don't even know uh, a lot of you know, who the donors are here at our, our church, and, and that's by design because we're so easily swayed by where the money's come from because it captivates our hearts, and we worry in that direction. But we need to recognize and, and, and appreciate and thank God for the way he stirs the hearts of people to give sometimes in very discreet ways. They don't even want their names known. But praise God, if you're one of those people that gives, thank, thank God for you. And we're not going to put you on any type of pedestal, but you need to know that God is working through you and, and your generosity, that's evidence God's doing something inside of you. And some of you who have very little financially to give, but, but you give of yourselves in tremendous ways. You've served here. And, and there's so many people here at Bethany who have served for years, 30, 40 years, given their lives to God's word. You need to know that's evidence of God working in you. God was working in this lady, in Lydia. Here in a place far away from home, Paul shares the good news of Jesus. And wow, what is God doing inside of this lady? Everything turns around for her. And now she's blessing others. Is God able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think? You better believe he is.
I just wish we had some evidence of that here at Bethany, right? <laughs> That's an insider joke. Even in the darkest, most isolated, most unlikely places, God's power knows no bounds. That should be an encouragement to us. But you know, there's also a, a caution here in our passage this morning, a word of caution. There's not just one woman in this passage. There are two that Paul encounters. The first miraculously listens and she believes and then displays these signs of transformation in her life. The second, it might make us think that she is, he's, she's joining the team too. Here we go. But instead, it turns out to be a danger sign. Look at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, I, I imagine this is a week later or something like that, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. We are not the only people who are constantly looking for signs of what is on the horizon, of what's coming how the wind is going to blow. The people living in Paul's day, especially the Romans, they placed a high price on anything that was going to shed light on what was coming up for the future. I read just this past week, no commander would set out on a, military, a major military campaign, nor would an emperor make an important decree without first consulting an oracle to see how things might turn out. So you can see why anyone who had a young girl who had some type of a gift in this area would really be bringing in the dough. Verse 17 says, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, as we, we already understand, the God of Israel that's kind of a, probably a foreign concept to those in Philippi. And so they probably don't have a clue as who this most high God is and what this way of salvation is. But because of who they knew this girl to be, you can bet that they were paying very close attention to her. What she's saying, who are these men? Oh, maybe we should listen to this. Of course, what she's saying is absolutely true. And that makes me think, if I was in Paul's shoes, would I have been tempted to look at this girl as some type of blessing, as some type of like unexpected ally? Well, here I am. I know, you know, I've just been out outside the city gates at the river, and I've just been sharing with a few women here, but, but maybe this is the way God is going to open this whole thing up and allow me to just share the gospel with everything here. They listen to this girl, so they'll probably listen to me. And it reminds me a lot of how um, just recently I, I hear um, uh, people like Elon Musk and, and, and he's doing some things that a lot of conservatives agree with and are excited about. And if he says or, or recognizes somebody on his platform, on this Twitter thing, well, then, then even a lot of Christians go like, oh, even Elon Musk supports me. Oh, this is probably a really good, wow, all right, go, go Elon. But is this guy a believer? Is this girl a believer? What's, what's really going on here? You see how tempting it can be? To just embrace anyone that you think is, is, is even vaguely in line with where you're going in life. There's a word of caution here, isn't there? It's important for us to look out for the tactics of the enemy. 
Doesn't God's word say that our adversary, the, or the devil, he disguises himself as an angel of light? Paul actually says that in 2 Corinthians. There are false teachers out there that the Bible warns about. People who claim to love Jesus, who, who claim, I'm going to speak for Jesus now. Everyone listen to me. And when I say this, you're all going to fall down here because the Spirit's working here. Or who are actively trying to get attention. And they're actively trying to weasel their way into the lives of believers and convince them to trust these people. What I'm speaking is true. And we go, yeah, it kind of is for the most part. And then ever so slightly, they're twisting, twisting to lead astray. And so someone says, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. In fact, I have this incredible transformation testimony. God rescued out me out of this. And every Christian goes, wow, I, I don't have a dramatic testimony like that. Maybe God really is working in this person's life. And they say, yeah, because I've trusted in him and, and now I have enough faith. I mean, look at, look at my life. I mean, I've got all kinds of money. I'm doing so well. I've got cars. I've got airplanes. I've got estates. I've got a magazine cover wife. This is just incredible. He gave this to me. Follow me. Read my books. Subscribe to my podcast. Join my church. And it can happen for you too. Another says, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But you know, Jesus is all about freedom. In fact, you can't do anything good on your own. We go, yep, amen. It's Jesus who does the transforming inside of us. And again, we go, yes, yes, yes. You can't do anything good, so don't even try. Trying to follow Jesus or fighting sin, the sin that remains in your life, that's actually a sign of a lack of faith in you. Don't let anyone tell you that Jesus actually wants you to do something. In fact, most of Paul's letters, you can just rip those right out because, you know, it's not about the imperatives here. It's not about the commands. It's just about sitting in the back seat. Well, Jesus drives the car and, and you just do whatever you want and God's going to slowly transform your life. For that seems far-fetched. Know that that happened in my last church. And then there's the guy who says, wait a second here. You, you got to make sure you, you really follow those commands in there. You better do this and you better do that. Make sure you color inside of every line. And don't you dare step outside of the prescription for right living that we are handing down uh, from all of our study of the Bible. You better know what type of clothing to wear. You better know what brand of cereal to eat. And if you don't exactly live the way we do, well, then God's going to remove his umbrella of protection, and you'll be sorry. See how easy it is? We could go on and on. Jesus is, is love. You know that there's actually, I read this this morning, there is an AI Jesus that you can follow. Yeah. 24 hours of lies. 24 hours, constantly pumping it out. Do you think people are listening to that, Jesus? I'll bet they are. And that's why John, 1 John 4 tells us to be on guard. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Yes, there are many. We need to be careful not to be taken in, Christians. There are a lot of people out there, they're putting on the jersey. And they're doing some of the right moves. But we need to test what they are saying. And how do we do that? Well, we got to look into this and say, is what they're saying consistent with this? 
You know what we also need to be doing? We need to be watching for what their lives produce, what their work actually produces. Do we see the fruit of the Spirit there? Do we see love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Or do we see things like pride and self-indulgence and compromise and sexual immorality and greed and all sorts of other garbage? Lydia's faith it was producing generosity. Okay, that is a really good sign that the Spirit's doing something in here. At the same time, there's this girl following them around, and all she's doing, you know what she's doing? She's producing a bunch of noise. I think it's interesting to remember Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him just keep shouting out these things. Just make that no, he said, let them hear. And Luke tells us, the Lord opens, opened Lydia's heart to pay attention. Is, isn't that fundamental to coming to faith in Jesus Christ? A heart that is brought to that, that place of humility where it knows that it doesn't have all the answers, but it needs to receive the truth of the gospel. On the other hand, when we find ourselves talking and talking and talking, well, that could be a sign of something else, couldn't it? It could be maybe a sign that we think that we have all the answers. Interesting. I think there may be something here, something that God's Spirit was doing and is doing whenever we see a person listening. If you find yourself talking a lot, Ask yourself what that may be revealing about what's going on inside your heart. And if you're a person who likes to talk a lot, and I'm not saying you can't talk a lot, and there's some of us who are just gifted at it, and it's great. But be intentional about taking time to listen, especially to God. What does he have to say to you? What's his word saying to you? Maybe put the smartphone down and turn off the screens, and put aside the social media, maybe reduce the amount of busyness in your life so that you can intentionally listen. Because you don't have all the answers, do you? And you need to be listening in the right direction. Paul sees through what was going on with this girl, verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. This is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I can relate. And turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And just like that, the threat of the enemy is completely removed. By what? Paul's confidence? No. The power of God. It was God's power that brought one woman to listen and receive the message of the gospel. God's power knew no bounds. And it was God's power that cast an evil spirit out of another. This is pretty awesome. And we'll look at what happens next in a couple weeks. For now, the outer rim, it can be an uncomfortable place. It can leave us feeling lonely and confused, maybe vulnerable, maybe helpless. You know what that's like. I do. And when we find ourselves in places where we feel like we're out of place or at risk or uncomfortable, maybe it's an actual physical place or maybe it's just a mental or, or emotionally vulnerable place, but it can be tempting to, to take the hand of any ally 
that comes alongside of us because we feel vulnerable, we feel needy. But Christians need to understand that though the environment may be dark and the friends may seem few, Christians have all the power that they need, all the help that they need, all the affirmation that they need from God. Remember how Paul relied on God. And God powerfully caused the message of the gospel to break into an unreached people and also break, break the chains of spiritual bondage. Even on the outer rim, God's power knows no bounds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because we don't just have to, we don't just get to, to read this and trust it, Lord, but we have we here at Bethany have seen it. We have seen your powerful hand time and time again. And just recently, Lord, Lord, we came through a, a period of uncertainty. We're living in uncertain days. We see all kinds of trends. We see things that are disturbing to us. And yet, Lord, you show us again and again that you are trustworthy. You are faithful. We face threat. We are victimized. And yet you show yourself strong. And Lord, may we, from this, this reality that we have experienced together, Lord, may our faith be built and strengthened that, Lord, as we go out into our world and step off that curb and find ourselves in awkward, uncomfortable situations, Lord, may we continue to remember what you have called us to, to be disciple makers, to be witnesses for the hope that you have given us, Lord. And as we do, may we remember that all authority in heaven and on earth is yours. You are powerful, and we can trust you. Lord, help us to recall that and help us to be faithful. And we'll give you all the glory and praise and honor you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.